Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered the field and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. And Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and she has remained there from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I've told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground and she asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here, have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. And when she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. And as she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to, this, to his men, let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered and it amounted to about an ephah, which is a, probably about 13 kilograms, according to the footnotes. She carried it back to town and her mother-in-law said how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing you his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. Then Ruth the Moabite said, he even said to me, stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him because in someone else's fields you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvests were finished and she lived with her mother-in-law. Father, we thank you for uh, this, this story, these words uh, uh, of, of, of what has happened in history, Lord. And we pray that you would speak into our lives and make them alive for us now in Jesus' name.
Amen. Good morning, everybody. Can I add my welcome to Andy's? It's a joy to have you here. Uh, can you hear me all right? Am I on? Am I? Yeah? Brilliant. That's a bit better, isn't it? Excellent. It was a joy to have you uh, with us uh, this morning. Uh, and I wonder, have you ever been in one of those sort of fairgrounds where you have those mirrors that distort how you look? It makes those of us who are fat, thin, those of us who are thin, fat, those of us who have round faces, squeezed faces, those of us who have googly eyes, makes them look very trim, those weird mirrors, you know, with the wobbles on them. Have you ever been in one of those? Well, in many respects, Ruth is a bit like that, this book of Ruth. It's not exactly an accurate representation of us, but there's enough in it that we see ourselves in this story. Ruth's story, in many respects, is our story because it's a story of humanity, if you like. It's a story of relationships, identity, love, sex, death, grief. The big questions of life. Where are you, God? What are you doing? Have you abandoned us? Why are you silent? In many respects, we look at Ruth and we look at a mirror, seeing something of ourselves and the complexity of it. But as well as being a mirror, the book of Ruth is also a window because not only do we find ourselves in this story, we look at the story of Ruth and we see through it to see something of the God who is at work. The way he works amongst normal people like you and me. The things he does in our lives in the circumstances we do and don't understand. The way he chooses to work in amazing ways. And so we're here the second week, and if you weren't here last week, it's worth just recapping the story for us. It begins in a really difficult time for the Israelites. It begins the opening chapter in the time of the judges, and if you know anything about the Old Testament, this was a time when God's people had basically abandoned God and gone their own ways. And then there's a famine in the land, desperate situation, and one family, Elimelech's family, decide to leave their home where they belong to go out for where they think is safety, the country of Moab. And it seems very tempting, and yet they'd have known all along, deep down, the warnings against leaving God's people to go into a different land with different gods, different spirituality, and what happens is tragedy strikes. What they thought was safe actually turned out to be really dangerous. And then uh, Elimelech dies, their sons die, so you've got Naomi left with two daughters-in-law, two daughters-in-law who are from Moab. And so she wants to return home to Bethlehem, uh, and one of them wants to come with her, Ruth, out of her own country, back to a new country in Bethlehem. And chapter one ends on a cliffhanger because they have nothing. They have no provider. They have no, she, Naomi has no husband. They have no one to give them food. And it ends on a cliffhanger by saying they arrived back in Bethlehem at the time of harvest. What's gonna happen? And we'll see this morning very briefly three things. We'll be reminded that God is at work no matter what your circumstances. No matter how dark things may be, no matter how uncertain they may look, God is at work in your life right now. And we'll also see that God often works through people who have a servant-hearted attitude. 
demonstrating his care in every area of life. And then we'll see that this service of God has a massive and a huge consequence. So let's just jump straight into this. Verse one of chapter two that we've just read. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech whose name was Boaz. Things are looking up already, there's a man. And not only just a man, a man of standing who is part of Elimelech's wider family. Things are looking up as they get back to Bethlehem. And the story continues as they begin to try and work out how they get food. Ruth wants to go and start grabbing food. And what happens is we get this situation where she goes and works around the field and picks up basically the grain that's left around the side. My father-in-law is a farmer. He farms cabbages and cauliflowers and broccoli. And what he basically, the equivalent is today, where the tractor has missed the side of the fields and you have a few that are left over, Ruth goes and picks up those. That's basically what's going on here. Things are looking up and she does exactly that, verse three. But there's a lot more going on here, signaled by four very small words that are so important for us today. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who, by the way, in case you hadn't remembered, was from the clan of Elimelech, as it turned out. Can I encourage you, look for those moments in your life. As it turned out, this happened. As it turned out, it seems that there were good things happening. Why is that important to remember? Well, because no matter how dark the situation, God is at work. As it turned out, she happened to do it in a field that was owned by Boaz. And it reminds us of God not being a Kit Kat God. You know Kit Kat? Time for a break, have a Kit Kat. God is not a Kit Kat God where he's, ah, snap. Let you get on with it for a while. As it turned out, he does not rest. He does not take a break with a nice cup of tea to let you get on. Now all along, God is at work behind the scenes. But of course, Ruth doesn't know it yet. She doesn't know what's going on. And for many of us, dare I say it, We know this in theory, but it's a helpful reminder today. In your life right now, right now, God is at work. For those things that you've been praying for, God is at work. In those those situations where you've grown too tired to pray, God is at work. In that desperation, God is at work. There's confidence there. But can I remind us of something also important? Ruth had to do something too. She was acting and then as she acted, God was seen to be doing his thing. If you're anything like me, it can be sort of easy to kind of put on a holy face and say, I'm trusting God to make this happen. Leaving it all to God. And sometimes God seems to work through us, 
I remember a few years ago when I was back from university and I got my uh, second job actually. I'd moved to London uh, and I was a young Christian and I was in this church uh, and I'd gone to the church leader because there was stuff that wasn't happening in the church that I wanted to happen. And I went with this kind of youthful enthusiasm and kind of complained to the church leader about why this wasn't happening. And his godly response with real gentleness was, okay, go for it, Tim. And I didn't mean that. I wanted them to do it. He was in effect saying, great, make it happen. Go for it. And for some of us this morning, we long for God to be at work and there is an encouragement here where God says, go for it, go for it. Is there something that you're putting off? Anything in which you know actually you simply need to make a decision. Up till now you've kind of left it to God and God may be saying, go for it, you decide. Let these opening words remind us God is at work but sometimes he chooses to use us in our weakness, in our frailty. So God's at work, but then we have this moment. This moment, just then Boaz arrived. Now, this is kind of that moment. You remember Pride and Prejudice? Put, anyone, women, put your hands up if you remember that moment with Colin Firth where he comes out of the lake. Yeah, lots of women. Okay, for men of a certain age, the Dr. No moment with Ursula Andress coming out of the sea. This is that sort of moment. Just then, Boaz arrives. I had a big discussion this week in Riverside House whether we should put those photos up. Uh, But then we thought we'd lose everyone for the rest of the service. (laughs) Just then, Boaz. Swoon. He's here. The knight in shining armor that we'd heard about. And what's more, he seems a great guy. He greets the harvesters. The Lord be with you. Wow. He's not only a looker, he's a good guy. And more than that, he's godly. Now, I might be reading a bit too much into this. Uh, I don't want you going home and thinking as Colin Firth. Maybe that's helpful, whatever. But this signifies a real shift in the story. Up till now, darkness, difficulty, tragedy. What's going to happen? Where is God? And just then, Boaz, a key figure, a saviour nonetheless. For Ruth and Naomi, his arrival is crucial. And not only is their relationship interest, with a few nudging of elbows and a few raised eyebrows, just then, Boaz, but actually what happens is nothing other than sheer grace. Boaz asks, who's that in my field? And the foreman explains, and basically we've got this amazing conversation where Boaz says to Ruth, listen to me, don't go and glean in another field. Don't take somebody else's cabbages. Stay here. Stay with the women who work for me. In other words, not just taking what you want, actually be like one of my servants, be like one of my workers. And not only that, I've told the men not to touch you, not to lay a hand on you. I will protect you as well. And not only that, you can take drink, you can take grain. His kindness is way beyond what would have been expected for somebody who was basically taking from his property. 
In a day when women were treated badly and women who had no husband were on their own, this man, this Boaz, this man of strength, takes him under her wings. And not only that, verse 13, 14, he invites her to eat with her, eat with him. The kind of care that Boaz shows is the kind of care that God shows. In the way that Boaz acts as God's servant, he simply demonstrates something of God's great care. This is so important for us. A little while ago, I was involved in a leadership thing in which we were kind of hosting an event. It was a week-long event. And what we tried to do is to make kind of those people that were church leaders coming along, make them feel special. And what happened, the person that was organizing this particular program had asked people that they, the, the, these church leaders knew what their favorite chocolate bar was. And one of the people that was coming, their favorite chocolate was one of those little chocolate squares that you get at the curry house. You know, those ones that you get after with coffee. And so the organizer of this course had phoned up his local curry house to ask if she could buy some of those little square chocolates so that when this guy arrived on this program, in his room on his pillow was one of those chocolates. That man had come to this program not really wanting to engage. He had come not sure whether there was a future for him in church leadership. He had come with real skepticism. And the moment he walked into his room and saw a little square chocolate on his pillow, God broke down all his walls, all everything, and the fact that that week transformed his life. Why? Because one little act of service profoundly demonstrated something of God's great care. Can I ask you, who is there in your world at the moment that just a little act of service might show something of God's great care for them? Someone at work, the little bar of chocolate on their keyboard, or a little kind word, or a little offer to pray, or if you're a boss of somebody, a little kind of bit of slack. Who is it in your workplace or in your family situation that you know needs encouragement? Just a tiny act of service that demonstrates something of God's great care. Because as we go on to the New Testament, we realize that this kind of action is exactly what God is about. And we read in the New Testament, in your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. He made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. <coughs> Simply what Boaz did by letting her take the grain, letting her eat, is showing grace. And it might be that there is one or two people here this morning for whom God is not really on your agenda at the moment. And this morning, he is extending, as it were, inviting you into his field, inviting you to just simply eat, to just simply take. He is for you, he wants to show you how loved you are. A little act of service. 
goes a very long way. And so those two things, God is at work, don't forget it. Also, when we serve others, we show something of God's great care. But there's a final thing here, isn't there? Ruth gleaned in the feeling field until evening. Then she threshed the barley and she carried it back to town and they're amazed at how much food she takes back. And then we have this beautiful moment where she stays and then look at verse 20. As Naomi, this woman who's seen her father and sons die, says the Lord bless him. He's not stopped showing his kindness to the living and to the dead. He is our close relative. He's one of our guardian redeemers. Serving God has a massive effect, way beyond what we dare even imagine. I don't know if you've heard of something in chaos theory called the butterfly effect. Anyone heard of the butterfly effect? I got a C at GCSE, so forgive me in science. But basically, as I understand it, the butterfly effect is that theoretically the wings of a butterfly flapping in China if all the conditions around the world are right, can have a massive global impact through earthquakes and tornadoes. That's the theory. Don't ask me to explain it. There are brighter here people who might be able to have a go. But it highlights that a small action can have a massive effect. A small chocolate on a pillow can change somebody's life. If you are a parent here this morning, a small action for your child's life can have a dramatic impact for generations beyond you. The prayers you've prayed that nobody else has seen, you do not know the impact that they can have. A little act of service as a parent or as a friend can have a massive impact through generations. For those that are helping right now in the children's church and our youth groups and all of that, they do not see the little act of kindness that can have a massive impact in a young child's life that maybe, just maybe, might change their future and the generations beyond them. Serving has an effect way beyond what we ever see. That kind word at the workplace, that prayer that no one else sees, those tears of concern can have a massive impact. Do not underestimate the act of grace and the effect it will have. And so what I'd love to simply do as I come to a close is for us to reflect about opportunities that we have this week to show something of God's great care in a very small act. So can I invite you to close your eyes? And in the stillness, what's gonna happen is I'm gonna pray and then gonna have a moment of quiet. And in that quiet, it may be that you want to think through your week, think through the people that you will meet and think through how maybe, just maybe a small act of service can change their life. Yeah, maybe we don't see that change, but we simply demonstrate something of God's care. And then I will read a poem for us before we respond. So let me pray and then we'll be still for a moment. Father,
you have served us in Jesus. You have stooped down, humbly giving your all for us. Lord, may we somehow in our weakness this week share that same concern, that same service with those we meet. So now, Lord, highlight for us key people, we pray, key moments this week where we can do just that. Thank you, Father. Amen. Let's be still. So I end with these, this poem. <clears throat> with a tremor of its wafer wing, they say a butterfly in Beijing can in time spin a tornado across the Kansas plain or hurl a tidal wave booming into Carolina's tranquil bays. So what then of a kiss for the dying, an embrace for the untouched? or a tenderness to the crushed. What of a whisper of grace, a word of love unfurled, or a door to truth flung wide? Will not these unwind the twisted heart and still the waves of endless wise? Is this not the fountain spray that soars through time and splashes eternity in our eyes. Lord, may we be your servants this week, we pray, because you first served us in Christ. Amen.